Hi, this is the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. I'm here with another guest of season one with, with Char Easter. Thank you for being here, Char. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yes. So let's begin with, tell us a bit about your background and how'd you get to the place you are today? Yeah, I have a kind of a very nonlinear background. Um, I basically started out um, well as a musician, electronic musician. So I was kind of really into, I could set up equipment and take down equipment pretty fast. So I kind of had a geeky side. And then um, I wanted to be a advertising copywriter. So I went to the School of Visual Concepts here in Seattle, which is a kind of a run more by uh, professionals in the advertising industry, or um, they also have things for painters. So um, I took some classes and I, I created a portfolio and I got a job at a multimedia company. Well, actually I was a, I was an, I was a copywriter at Eddie Bauer and um, I also did layout. So I kind of, and I was, I also like a, I was a, my very first job was a graphics assistant at the King County library system so I, I kind of had this like graphics and um and what's weird about that experience was I was really young and I just took for that job I took down all the kind of things off my walls <laughs> that I had put <laughs> up like little weird things and I put them in a portfolio and I went into Seattle and I got the job somehow it was like I don't recommend it but I think the the thing is, is if you just have the chutzpah to just go for it, you're going to, um, you're going to learn something and you might, who knows, <clears throat> but it was, um, that started me out with graphic design, but then I kind of, when I, when that job finished, um, it was like, like a certain, I was like kind of out in the world and it was like, okay, what do I do? So I, um, I really wanted to be an advertising copywriter, which I never really was. Um, I think it takes a certain kind of person that I, I just, I really love, I love ads. I think mm -hmm. ads when they're well-written and designed, they're amazing. But I'd said, so then I went, to, I got a job as a, in a multimedia company and I was an interactive script writer uh, for um, online coursework and it was pretty robust like we used we had a film department and we did um, uh, like flash and director um, created animation so yes so I was uh, basically a writer and then um, and then I went into being a producer and I started I got a job at the experience music project um, which is now um, uh, Mopop in Seattle <clears throat> and I created a couple three interactive kiosks which was we called it spam which was spending Paul, Paul Allen's money because he basically just said you have three months to make something amazing and you can have as much money and resources as you want so that was um, probably my really my best achievement was just having all that all those resources um and so I was kind of like a creative director and a producer for those, those, um, and it was a really great gig, um, but that had a certain timeline and then the grand opening. Then I went on to, um, I was at, I just, I did some more interactive writing actually. And then um, I went into um, uh, 
being a producer. So as a producer at Microsoft for the Beat team, which is a branded entertainment experience team where you're created these really high-end um, experiences, digital experiences for big clients like um, Subway and T-Mobile and, um, and Toyota. So they were very, wow. very, very, you know, like some chef driving around the United States and, um, you know, delivering like and, and going to all these different restaurants and Anyway, delivering the message of Toyota somehow, like you can, um, and so that was, um, so a lot of, so that was a branded entertainment. And then I went back to school at some point thinking, okay, I wanna, um, I really, I just, I gotta reinvent myself. I just keep had <laughs> reinventing myself. And then I did, um, uh, I w went and got my master's degree from the UW, University of Washington in human-centered design. And um, then I had to make the jump from being a producer um, to being a UX designer. So that, when you go to, um, if you go to like a like with, at the UW, at the human-centered design, I the real emphasis was in um, user testing probably. So research on the research side. So lots of mm -hmm. theories um, and um, and things that I mean are more abstract as far as applying to your you know to your actual work. So I think the programs now, if you go to more like the uh, there's like uh, I live in Seattle, so there's the Seattle Central Community College, or I think it's just uh, it's um, anyway they have a like a two year program. And then there's even, I think there's a lot of different other programs that are more condensed and more focused on just more, maybe a more practical, um, just like, you know, what's, you know, tools and all that, that you would use, which we didn't really do so much. Um, um, was it like, was it SPSS? Like we learned some very, like some very robust, like, um, number crunching tools in um in uh the human center design program but um not anything i didn't go into research i chose to go into design um <clears throat> but it was a little bit of a hard hard sell because i didn't have all the design chops of the whole adobe i hadn't been doing that and i had worked with designers but i hadn't been a designer so i think um if you are, if you, you know, so, you know, if you're, if you're already a designer and you can deliver um, all those artifacts, like, you know, your, whatever handoffs you're doing and <clears throat> um, whatever Adobe product you're using, it keeps changing. Um, everything keeps changing, but um, then you're, it's pretty, you know, employers have, a, you know, they feel pretty comfortable just moving someone from, you know, designer to UX designer, mm -hmm. um, even without the formal UX um, background. So uh, yeah, so if you're already a designer and you want to be a UX designer, then um, you you could learn. Um, I think you you know it's possible to learn things. I mean, people have reached out to me 
and like with informational interviews and I've kind of downloaded a lot of information for them, um, but there are some kind of main buckets. Um, so anyway, I ended up at Seattle Times. Um, they gave me a chance and I've been there almost nine years at this point. <clears throat> Yeah, it is quite the experience run that you have had. And it's very incredible because you worked with so many great uh, companies and people and definitely learned a lot of skills on the way. Yeah. Yeah. So now that you're working with Seattle Times, I, now I have to wonder, what is a typical work week look like for you there? Um, let's see. I work... Um, I've been doing a lot of accessibility work there. Um, I kind of, since the very beginning, like when I uh, first even applied to get into the master's program, I had heard something um, something on the radio and it was about someone who is championing accessibility and um, which is, <clears throat> you know, for disabled people with disabilities, how, um, the digital world can really um, be restructured to actually help people with disabilities instead of hinder them. And just the fact that we, you know, what's out there and the lack of kind of awareness that it's actually hindering them when it could be helping them. Um, I don't know, it just really took me for some reason. And so, um, that was kind of like an impetus for me going into school. And then when I started working at the Seattle Times, I, I just continued with my little personal campaign till, until it became very relevant for them. And now I do a lot of um, accessibility work for us and our affiliates or, or new products coming on board, like, um, like we just launched The Ticket, which is an entertainment site. Um, really successful um, and then just so if you're working in subscriptions and you're working in funnels or even like in a whole account section for um for your users uh yeah just try to you know we're all we're constantly trying to make it as seamless as possible for them um you know like do they really you know what do they need and what don't they need like what is this um what is essential um is really important and um I don't know if you want me to like talk about any of the things like as far as like as a UX designer um what we look for but um just like a lot just with consistency of patterns making sure that um um that that things are um they're just consistent across. Like, I feel like I call myself the pattern police because we have a, it's, and it's kind of easy at the Seattle Times because we do have a set amount. <clears throat> we have our patterns and it's like, it is the, you know, the, the newspaper that doesn't change. But if mm -hmm. you have different clients all the time, um, well, if you're going to hand something off, then they would have like a set of patterns, um, meaning whatever colors and interactions and how all those like, modals and you know um, um, how that how that works <clears throat> that it's all the same so yeah that's the usability is about the pattern consistency is and functional performance so is anything impeding the user I mean that's like the big question and it's kind of I don't know I was like um, 
like a visual designer is always kind of looking for like standing out, being unique, like um, doing something different with pizzazz. But as a, as a, as a user experience designer, you're really trying to follow um, conventions so that people, you're, that people are familiar. So one of the things uh, you asked about, what do we do every on a daily basis? Almost every single project um, we do, we, you know, our plan in our plans, it's like when we get a project, okay, what's the plan? Well, the first part of the plan is scope, of course, but, um, and then for our research, if nothing else, we do a, um, a competitive audit. And those can actually be very elaborate and, and they can be very beautiful. Um, uh, Jamie on our team, she did this one for the homepage that I'm just, uh, that I just thought it was so awesome the way she kind of layered these kind of uh, like, I don't know, hot where the, we're most, you know, like kind of capturing where uh, the, um, uh, with just like pink shades of pink and how there were density where things were more dense or not dense as far as features. Anyway, mm -hmm. so, um, but, uh, so you can, um, you kind of, a competitive audit in a basic form is like, you're basically just going through and looking what, what does, what does the New York times do? What does Washington post do? What does, you know, and you get a list of like who, who you're going to be looking for. Um, we also have done benchmarks um, and the research team is doing that more. But, and those can be, those are really time consuming, but, um, but yeah, with the competitive audits, you're just kind of, you're going through and, um, and seeing, you're picking out a, a list of features that you're looking for. And then your findings, like what, what did you find? What was, what is everybody else doing? Um, what could you do different? Can you grab any ideas from, from them? But yeah, you're trying to stay within conventions really for the users so that they're familiar with um with all those patterns like um you know like uh, um should a headline like for example like you shouldn't use color alone to um mm -hmm. convey meaning but with a headline you don't want um like a either you also have to balance like you want a clean design that that is um because you want it to be um you want the reader to have an uncluttered experience right you don't, don't want to impede like you just don't want to impede the user doing their task and having this kind of um good experience on your product so mm -hmm. so you're balancing out so okay well that's a, a best practice is not or it's actually accessibility um rule um, about color but if it's um but with the headlines, they're usually just black, and then they might have a rollover state or a hover state to show that it's a link. I even noticed, like recently on the New York Times and the Washington Post, they're not even using a color; they're just using this light gray when you hover over it, so it's getting very subtle. And I'm sure that's just like a way of making the readability part a clean, you know, user experience. Um, mm -hmm. You know, kind of balancing it towards that. <clears throat> yeah, I can see, especially for like for the people who are uh, colorblind, can definitely mm -hmm. make an easier adjustment mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. If they can see gray, maybe not blue. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, or DC blue, it turns into a very dark gray, and, and then it can cover up things that you, that you want to see. Yeah, so yeah, I think keep um, you have to keep a lot of things in mind. So it's always challenging. Um, 
I do love the subscriptions um, because it has a lot of user states. So they're just like these puzzles. Like, so like at the beginning of the project, if um, you might, you just might have to do a flow chart and this is, and, and write out all your user states. Okay. This is the logged in version. And this is the, mm -hmm. they're not, they, they're a subscriber, but they're, um, but they're not logged in and they're just a registered user. And, you know, so there's mm -hmm. all these variations and these, um, states that you have to keep in mind um for the experience <clears throat> yeah know, you a... just kind of get them make things up as you go you know like you're not going to get get out of school and know really much of anything <laughs> you're just going to have enough when you get out of school if you're if you're just starting out to get your foot in the door and then you're going to learn so much yeah, that actually led to my next question of what advice do you have for people who want to get into UX design? Yeah, um, you know, sign up for uh, Jacob Nielsen. Um, he's like the guru of UX. He's been around for a while and was and is was always considered very nerdy because when it flash and all those like kind of cool websites were out, he would just have like this really te boring text. Um, but he, him, um, he has the site, um, uh, that is, a NNG, um, uh, it's a, actually NN, nngroup.com and they have their, you know, sign up for their newsletters. You're going to just going to get lots of usability, uh, best practices. Um, and, um, if you, and then also just keep on the, you need really kind of need to be technical. It's, um, you need to work with the dev team. So anything you can do to kind of, to understand, if you if you understand HTML or if you are a web designer, a front end UI designer, you are so much better off um, because you'll be able to speak to the dev team. Um, mm -hmm. But um, you could go to bradfrost.com. He has a lot of things that are kind of more on the dev side. Also the dev side is really important for accessibility. So um, we have accessibility checklist on our site. Um, and uh, um, I, you know, I use that um, to check everything off um, and the W3C. So yeah, just read up on accessibility on uh, Jacob Nielsen, medium.com, UX Planet. And then also, oh, my smart speaker is talking. Um, speaking of a smart speaker, um, I just, there's so many emerging uh, technologies now that are very exciting. Like mm -hmm. um, I'm I like voice, uh, I listen to the VUX podcast and the uh, voice tech. Um, and that's kind of at the beginning, but it's really, really time to jump in. It's, it's And it's more it's like if you, you're coming in as a writer, um, it's more like Excel documents, you know, you're, um, you're writing dialogue you're, and you're in your, you're basically, um, uh, thinking for the computer. So um, <clears throat> I don't know, my tag is help machine adapt the human. Um, I, I don't know so much anymore, but there's, um, you know, whatever your university, wherever you are, like sign up for um, like maybe the graduate program, they have uh, workshops and, um, and you can learn a lot about um, like that, you know, have, you know, have machine adapt to human. That's about, um, you know, that we're making the machine 
we're making it easier for humans, right? And versus mm -hmm. if a if a if a constraint comes up because you're working within constraints all the time. So um, anyway, so just um, try to um, yeah, try to understand. Um, you have to you work within this constraints, but don't give into them either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I de I definitely understand. And I use those resources that you've recommended before, and I can definitely concur that they absolutely work and go thoroughly deep at what's necessary and how we learn about UX design. It's actually incredible. So, uh, yeah, so there's... Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to yeah. lead to the next question, but let's go. Yeah. No, go ahead. Okay, <clears throat> yes. Uh, so, so, Shar, what was your biggest lesson you've learned in your career so far? Um, gosh, I don't know. Just, just always be, just always be willing to reinvent yourself. Um, uh, and, um, that, uh, I don't know, uh, just, I don't know. I'm just fairly, I feel very excited about the, I think UX design is an amazing uh, role to have right now. It's very lucrative. It's very in demand. Um, and there's so many different directions you can go. So, um, yeah, just be willing to do, you know, you know, if you're, if you, you know, if you're on unemployment, then go to the unemployment office and say, what classes can I get funded for? You know, just do whatever you can to like, to get more training, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, get as much training as you can, get your foot in the door and then just start learning. Um, yeah. So I guess that's mine is just be prepared to reinvent yourself when needed. Yeah. I know. I love the, the creativity aspect because it feels like there's just so many different ways you can go with UX design. So even if there's a part that you may not be good at, there's always a lot of strengths that you can follow up with instead, I think. Because also the fact that like, yeah. like, it seems like all these companies like require like a different form of UX design as well. So it's never, you know, it's never the same uh, jungle every time. No, that's a really great point. Like when I first started out, well, as a, when I was a producer, I was like, okay, well, I've got the process down. No, there's no, every single company and team and, you know, has their own process and you really have to be adaptable to, um, you know, and it's, the more I'm in it, the more I, you know, you have to be so fluid, you know, just even from working from project to project, you're fluidly like, switching out you know like even what tools you use so i use i uh, i use xd um but my team is all um uh enamored with figma it seems like that kind of what's going on right now mm. um we were using um indesign to do layouts when indesign does have some um so, like if you're doing audits you need to crop photos really easily um uh, so each of the tools, so like if someone asks you what kind of prototyping tool you use or what tool you could, you could just say, I use the right tool, you know, based on what kind of, um, not even project, like what phase of the project you're in, are you doing an audit or you're doing a, you know, are you actually laying things out? Um, 
and um so yeah yeah so as we're drawing close to this episode what's the best way to support uh, the business you work at um just remember that it's really easy for the business side the product team to be kind of telling you what to do so remember that you are the advocate for the user whatever and whatever you are um uh you know recommending be sure and have your rationale of why you're recommending it because there is rationale for it um mm -hmm. and and just you know and whatever you know what just keep that in mind like how you know this as a ux designer I am, I am a, I, you know, like I am a contributor to this, to, to everything. I'm not just taking orders, right? So what ways mm -hmm. can you come up with to kind of, um, what's a word like not entrench yourself, but to kind of, you know, because, you know, be in that role. Oh, so you're, like a, yourself. Yeah. It's more like, you know, you're, 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 you're like jumping on any opportunities to say that you are uh, an expert and you are contributing and you're not just taking, taking orders from the dev or the product team. Mm -hmm. I'm not the dev team, the dev team, <laughs> they just want to have everything as sewed up as possible when you hand it off. <clears throat> but the product team is going to be more the product and the, and the business team. Um, you know, they are going to be, you know, you kind of maybe feel like they're making all the decisions mm -hmm. and really they need the UX at the table in a big way. And these several times, you know, they put UX on the product team, you know, that was a really good move. So at the table with all the product managers and the directors, there's like, there's the UX people, which was great, but it's not just doesn't in there, like just really speak up, figure out ways where, where you can be um, um, a viable, like resource for them. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yes, that's, that's definitely um, one that we should always definitely consider because of that. We definitely do have our say. And a lot of times like we need to defend our, our, decisions and like why you know ux design matters a lot of the cases yeah and, and um and yeah and like i said you are you're you should be part of the planning you know you should be part of the decision making as well so yeah just keep that in mind like how how can we um you know insert ourselves as, on as ux to be more you know in in the um in the planning stages <clears throat> and decision making stages mm -hmm. yeah so any closing words you like our audience to know about no i, I think i said it i mean i'm sure i'll think of other things but <laughs> yeah i'm just very uh i just think it's a wonderful uh, uh a wonderful career and there's so many things going on. Um, I mean, there's, uh, you know, and there's all these variations, but uh, like, you know, the, well, just the, um, the immersive technology. So what do we got? Like AR 
and VR and uh, the voice. Um, and uh, voice to me is particularly interesting because uh, as a champion and really learn accessibility, it's like, I mean, um, because like a smart speaker is, you know, whatever you're doing to help accessibility is going to like for a screen reader. Well, it's going to apply to a, a smart speaker as well. So, um, and a lot, I've probably heard it before, but really what like the things you do for accessibility are going to help everyone. So accessibility isn't just, uh, I mean, if you're um, so color contrast or you have to think about situational, it's not just people with disabilities. Oh, I, what if you don't have your mouse? and you're stuck like keyboarding around, oh, I didn't really do, you know, it's like, any, it could happen to anybody, right? Or if you're mm -hmm. just in a situation where you only have one hand and, or you're in the bright sunlight or whatever. So it's, but the whole pinch and zoom thing, which everybody uses constantly. I mean, that was, that was an accessibility feature originally. So yeah, um, <clears throat> that would be my advice is, is learn accessibility. Yeah, but it's a it's also a, a growing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people getting sued, so um, it's mm -hmm. that's why everybody's listening to it now. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much, Shara, for being here. Oh, thank you, Nick, for having me. Good luck to everyone going into the field and continuing. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you just listened to the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening.